Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. You're listening to Brainwaves, 8.55am or streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This week is BPD Awareness Week, October the 1st to October the 7th. Uh, BPD, or Borderline Personality Disorder, is a common mental illness characterised by poor control of emotions and impulses, unstable interpersonal relationships and unstable self-image. On today's show, Christine and Rebecca are interviewing the lovely Barb Mullen from the BPD community. Over to you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much, Barb, for coming on the show today. Um, So I was just wondering, could you start with a brief outline at what borderline personality disorder is? Thanks, Rebecca, and thanks for having me here today. Um, BPD can be seen as being complex, or for some of us it can be really very, very simple. Um, the simple description that Kiara gave at the start is is a good way to start and that's looking at uh, difficulty regulating emotions, uh, difficulty in managing relationships and a difficulty with a poor self-image. Then there's the nine criteria that the Americans use with the MSM and to be diagnosed with uh, BPD you need to meet five of those criteria. And that can get mucking complex when you're doing it. And the other one is the, um, would you believe the United Nations? There's the International Classifications of Diseases, which doesn't specifically look at BPD, but looks at personality disorders um, in general. And the new lot that's being worked on at the moment is coming up with a different way of looking at uh, personality disorders in terms of functionality because of course you'd appreciate that these, this is on a spectrum of um, of significance or effect. So you could have be a high functioning person with BPD, you could have really, really severe BPD um, and if you look at it in terms of those nine criteria and meeting five of them, you can have something like up to about 300 different manifestations of the disorder, which makes it sound also really, really complex, but it's not. So when you know what BPD is, it's easy. You can see it, you can identify it, and you can do something about it. But you've got to have that knowledge and that information. Awesome. Barb, can you um, tell us how a personality disorder differs from other conditions such as anxiety or depression? Oh, that's a really, really good question. Thanks, Christine. It's, it's, um, most people with BPD have anxiety and depression automatically. It goes without saying. Um, BPD has to be a mental illness that has got a, an extraordinarily high comorbidity rate. And that basically means that if you have BPD, you are almost more than likely, well, you would probably have depression, probably have anxiety. I don't know of anyone with BPD that doesn't have either of those two things. Um, You might also have drug and alcohol dependence. Um, You might also have an eating disorder. And there might be, you could even have uh, bipolar as well. You could have a whole range of things um, that go with being with BPD. The important thing to know with 
um, a diagnosis of BPD or, or yeah, is, the, is that you can treat anxiety and depression, but if you don't treat the BPD, that anxiety and depression will be with you because BPD underscores and underlies it. The treatment for BPD is so critically important for this very reason. So you'll find people that might get treatment for anxiety, depression, or drug and alcohol dependence, and and, and relapse again and again and again when the underlying problem of BPD is, is left untreated. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the work you do within the B- the BPD community? Oh, thank you. Look, there's, there is just so much that you can do and there is so much that can be done. And, of course, mm, that's not always so easy because you're limited by the resources available to you. Our purpose at BPD Community is to create a sense of community to support recovery. So... In our community, we have people with lived experience of BPD, we have the family members of people with a loved one with BPD, and of course, the people who work with people uh, who are affected by BPD. So we embrace those three, and we also have supporters who have nothing to do with BPD as well, I might say, who support the idea of what it is that we're doing and who are so keen to see change because that's that's what's so important. so what do we do? We, well, we, we, do, we do some very straightforward things. We have four information nights a year. We have four newsletters a year. We run a carers group. We are looking at developing a what's loosely called at the moment a recovery group. Um, there are lots and lots of things that we want to do. And unfortunately, we're hampered by, um, as I say, resources. I'd mention also here uh, stigma and discrimination because our mission is to replace stigma and discrimination with hope and optimism. And so we're constantly, with all of our work, looking at what it is that we can do. So we respond to individual situations of stigma or discrimination in the media. Um, And we have developed a position paper on stigma and discrimination. And we're developing training packages to uh, take to people who work in the mental health area to help them with some accurate and up-to-date information and help give them the skills that are so helpful with BPD. So there's lots of things that we can do, but again, it's, you know, there's so much need and so little resources. Yeah. Um, Bob, following on from this um, idea of stigma that's been associated with BPD, can you tell us a little bit more about what is stigma and why is it a problem? Yeah, I'd love to. So my background is in social science and so I have a really good understanding of these sorts of things from a social scientist's perspective. Stigma is when you put a mark on someone. Would you believe it comes from stigmatisation, which is um, something that a lot of people who in the Catholic Church might know about. The stigmata is the marks of the cross that sometimes appear on... Ah, she says. (laughs) So, you know, like if you have in the old and medieval times, you have a saint and they might have they might have the stigmata, which is the marks of the where the nails going to the cross. And it's marking someone as different. And that's what's to to have stigma means. You see, in our society, what we do is when there is stuff that we don't understand or we feel uncomfortable or whatever else, we quite easily stigmatize it. And when we do that, we're excluding people. We're separating them. We're considering them as of lesser value and we treat them differently. 
and then the consequences of that stigma is the discrimination that occurs. And basically, I think it's predominantly through lack of accurate, up-to-date information. If people knew, as I do, what BPD means, the world of BPD, people with lived experience of BPD, um, the whole community, if people knew, it wouldn't have that sort of discrimination. But unfortunately, it does exist, and it's, uh, it's pretty sad. People feel what they don't know as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And people with BPD can exhibit behaviours that are challenging. And family members of people with BPD can be challenging. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. What do you think the specific challenges for those who work with BPD in the mental health field? Mm. Yeah, well, I think that predominantly, you know, see, when you look at stigma and discrimination, and and we in our position paper um, that the BPD community developed on that, we did an analysis of the latest research, and it's just blatantly clear that the stigma and discrimination comes from the mental health system, and comes from the mental health field, and. I believe it's basically a lack of information, as I mentioned before, up-to-date, accurate information, a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge about what BPD is. I think that um, people who are training in the mental health field are not taught about BPD. They're not given the skills that are essential to work with people with BPD. Uh, I know that there are attitudes. I was talking to a... um, a lovely young man today who visited a GP who told him that there is no such illness as BPD. Um, That was in very recent times and this is happening consistently and continuously. So the challenges are to acknowledge BPD as a legitimate illness and to, in doing that, take away the blame for the disorder from the families, from the people with BPD. Because what often happens with the stigma is that the person is blamed for being ill. They'll hear things like, you know, get a life, you can control yourself, you can change if you want to, and all of these sorts of stuff without failing to recognise that that's not quite so easy. I like to use an analogy. Oh, I think I'm talking too much, but very quickly. No, not at all. <laughs> I'd like, I like to use the analogy of cancer. No? If people with cancer were treated the way that we treat people with BPD, the uproar would be enormous. You know? So someone might have lung cancer, and goodness gracious, maybe they smoke once upon a time. You don't blame them. You don't treat them as if they are responsible and neither do you expect them to get rid of their symptoms through simple control of their mind. It's a physical illness. And I would like to go back to the start when you asked me about what BPD is because one of my favourite ways of understanding BPD is to use a neurobiological um, position. So you have your amygdala at the back of the base of the brain, 
and which deals with your emotions, especially your fear, um, those primal emotions. And you've got your prefrontal cortex, where it's at the front of the brain, at the top, behind your forehead. It's where we do our thinking. It's our logic, our reasoning part. People with BPD and MRI studies have shown this. People with BPD have got reduced neural pathways between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, which means that their capacity to process those emotions, those raw emotions, is limited. And the beauty about understanding it from that neurobiological perspective is that you can see it's possible for recovery because the brain is plastic and we can regrow those neural pathways. And having said that, it's so easy to say, and as any one of us who has tried to change our brain, it's not that easy to do. And that's extremely interesting. It's kind of just like a thought that just popped in my head is why, like, we don't blame people who, like, have cancer for getting cancer, but um, I think there is blamed for people who do have severe mental illnesses and, like, they can't control control mm-hmm. what happens mm-hmm. or what they do. They need treatment. And I think, like, if if we treated especially what you said, if we treated mental illness like we treat other terminal diseases, mm-hmm. other diseases, mm-hmm. then we would, like, everything would be okay if we just treated them exactly the same. I agree with you, Rebecca, but I would make a proviso. We can be accepting of people with bipolar diagnosis or a schizophrenia diagnosis or a diagnosis of anxiety or depression and in particular, because the stigma and discrimination occurs within the mental health field in relation to BPD, that the situation for PP, people with BPD and with that lived experience is so significantly greater. As a consequence of that stigma and discrimination, they're denied treatment. They're denied recovery. They are subjected to years and years of psychic pain that can be pretty excruciating. 10% of people with BPD commit suicide. It's not, um, I agree with you, mental illness is stigmatised, but that's also in the general community. The general community doesn't really know about BPD. Okay, so the situation for people with BPD uh, and for the families um, and for the people who work with BPD is so much worse because of that. So you could say it's the most stigmatised mental illness legitimately. Just for that example of that gentleman that you used before, you know, Mm -hmm. for him to have received the diagnosis from a mental health professional to Mm -hmm. then go to a GP feeling as though, okay, this is my diagnosis, Mm -hmm. I've got some answers, Mm -hmm. I can probably get some appropriate treatment now, and then to go to the GP and to have to be told that that's not real, Mm -hmm. it just shows you that there's a divide within the mental health, you know, among mental health professionals, there's, you know, there's a group of mental health professionals who believe that BPD is real and it should be treated um, as a real illness and there are people out there who don't believe that it that it is real. So mm. it is a real um, conflict within the actual system itself. You'd be so proud of that. This young man's response to the GP it was not his normal GP. It was someone who was standing in at the time because his normal GP was away. Uh, his response was just wonderful. He said, if you feel you can't it was, I'm paraphrasing, so, and, and, you know, 
there's a lot to the story, but if you feel you can't treat me, then that's okay, I understand. Words well, to that effect. What a very diplomatic response. And the GP the GP said in reply something along the lines of, Oh, so you questioning my competence, are you? I would have burst out crying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, you know, I mean, and this is this is a living example of recovery. People with BPD have to be the best people in the world, really. Okay? And people with BPD who have recovered, yeah, absolutely tops. It's just so much strength in them, so much sensitivity, so much compassion. It's so, you've mentioned so many interesting things. And I think one of the most interesting things is that the stigma for BPD comes from within the mental health field itself, the people working mm -hmm. in the field. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. And it just makes me think, wow. And, you know, for that young man to have been told by a professional who's supposed to be the starting point for his mm -hmm. journey to recovery, for him to be told, you know, what what he was told, I mean, that's, it happens. that's quite off-putting. Yep, happens constantly. Yeah. And I don't like to go into individual examples of discrimination too much because sometimes you can identify people but really I know some very sad very very sad people who yeah it's so frustrating so Bob can we assume that the mental health system then needs to change and that practitioners need to change too yeah yeah in a nutshell yep but look you, you can say that but I know really really wonderful psychiatrists yeah. psychologists, nurses, people who work in the mental health area of all sorts, wonderful, wonderful people who are doing the best that they can. And and it's, um, it's not easy. It's not easy for them either. I think that, yeah, we are changing and I'm very, very proud of BPD community's work in regard to making that change possible and, and creating an impetus for change. And I'm looking forward to um, making that even stronger and stronger. Um, yeah, one of the key things is I keep on getting examples in the schools of, in the graduate schools, you know, so schools of medicine, schools of um, psychology within the universities about how little, if anything, is said on BPD and that what is said is often discriminatory. In fact, I know a young woman, to use another example, who was doing a master's in social work and couldn't, <laughs> got so um, upset with one of her lecturers and her lecturer's response to BPD when this young woman is... Um, has lived experience of BPD, um, that she decided that she couldn't work in that area at all because there was just so much discrimination and so much negativity towards BPD that she just decided she was, you know, very short of finishing her course, you know, just short of finishing it. Wow. Yeah. And that's really sad. Um, why are families important to people who suffer from BPD? Oh, Rebecca, that's such a good question, so close to my heart. Yeah. yeah. Families are there, 
um, when we were talking before the program, I was saying we were talking about having babies and that sort of stuff, and I made the point that, you know, I've got three beautiful young women with me here in the studio, and <laughs> when you have a baby, it's there for you for life, and your baby might be 60, <laughs> but that is still your child, and you still feel that strong sense of responsibility as a parent and I'm also very very well aware in my own role as a daughter that you expect your mother or your father to be a mother or a father when you want them to be. So with people with lived experience of BPD, with people who are suffering from their BPD, the parents are there and that there's always going to be exceptions when there are parents who aren't going to be there but we see parents that are constantly, um, or we see parents constantly who are trying so hard to be supportive to their loved one. Parents pay so much for treatment. They pay so much for accommodation. They pay so much because sometimes with people with BPD have um, severe difficulties functioning. In fact, it's very common so they may be unemployed they may be unable to um, to function as you would normally in life uh, and their costs are high so it's always parents who are always there as a backup the difficult thing about it is that one of the issues with the um, one of the core three elements of BPD is about having difficulty with relationships and so what you'll often find is that the child um, is, blames their parents. You'll find it's not infrequent um, amongst family members that, the, um, that there are allegations perhaps of um, abuse that may not be as accurate as... You know, it's a very sensitive area, but... That is something that exists and there is a wonderful paper by Harriet, Dr Harriet Leffley who looked at the data and looked at the situation and because this idea of uh, trauma and abuse with BPD is a very delicate one um, and so quite clearly it is obvious that there are situations where there are allegations that are un, 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 not unproven, un, not accurate. Um, so the family person, the family members, the parents, the siblings have a difficult time if you are in a relationship with someone with BPD. That is a real challenge. You could be uh, a son or a daughter of someone with BPD. The whole thing is a really hard situation to be in. And often when we talk about it, we talk about it being parents because in the BPD community, they're the ones that we see. They're the ones that are screaming out for help. They're the ones that are desperate for support. And they're the ones that are working so hard to try and support their loved ones without the skills that are helpful to them. And so as a quick side, I'll put a plug in for um, a, um, a program called Family Connections that is run by a another organisation that works with BPD here in Australia called NEABPD and the Family Connections program is a 12-week program for family members of people with BPD that helps to give them the, um, the skills that are so important 
talking too much again. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. There's just so much to say. Yeah, no, that's actually great that you mentioned something like that because I'm sure there'd be listeners out there who would be wondering, you know, where can we go to for support? And you're right, if the family's not equipped with the skills that they need, then it's already difficult enough on its own. So Mm -hmm. without the skills, it would become even 10 times more difficult. Yeah, and don't forget our own carers program once a month. Um, Bob, is recovery from BPD possible? Absolutely, unquestionably, undoubtedly, no question about it. You you might find that people might argue about what is a cure, what is recovery, and there's another R word that escapes me at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, what's your measure of recovery? To live a fully functioning life, to be at peace, to be able to experience joy. Um, yep, people with BPD, absolutely, that is possible, that is realistic, it's not easy. Given that recovery is possible, what are the first steps for any listeners who think that they or someone they might know may have BPD? Yeah, uh, there comes our challenge. Because of the stigma and discrimination that exists in the mental health field, First of all, getting a diagnosis may be difficult. I don't know of anyone with BPD who hasn't been misdiagnosed. Um, I, I, um, but nonetheless, having said that, there are challenges. So it requires persistence. First step is your GP. If you go to GP and you raise the issue with them and the GP can do a referral using code, or well, from memory it's code 291, and they can would they can refer you to get an accurate diagnosis an accurate diagnosis doesn't come easily um it requires a bit of time um with someone who knows what they're doing um but hey it's possible it's possible to get a diagnosis once you get a diagnosis then you might be lucky enough to be offered treatment so there's 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 sort of like steps along the way um and treatment is i think essential for a good recovery. Just before we finish up, is there anything you'd like the listeners to know about BPD? About BPD specifically? Oh, there's about 12 different sorts of treatment. It doesn't, I don't know that it matters particularly which sort of treatment it is. What is really, really important is you have a good relationship with your therapist um, and that you have the support that is essential. And I think that you should also join the BPD community because we're part of that support process. And then, of course, there's tomorrow night because it's BPD Awareness Week. So tomorrow night we've got our celebration night. So we, once a year we celebrate recovery and we also celebrate our achievements over the year. Um, and tomorrow night we have a, a gorgeous young woman, Kate Brindley, speaking about her own journey of recovery. Um, I'll be doing a brief update on what the BPD community as the organisation has achieved over the year. And we're going to have Zeke singing for us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> have you heard Zeke? I have, yes, in the past, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful yeah. voice. Yeah. Uh, he's not going to do his thrash metal stuff with us, though. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to use his tenor talents to yes. sing. So that's at the South Melbourne Town Hall at 7 o'clock? That's correct. Wonderful. And if uh, all people are welcome to attend, absolutely. welcome to attend. Absolutely, absolutely. It is catered, I do understand, so to email you. Are you able to give our listeners your email, please, Barb? <laughs> yes, if they have their uh, pens handy, I will try and speak slowly. So it's barb at 
bpdcommunity.com.au. Fantastic. And um, we, we will put a link to the BPD Community Facebook and their brand new webpage, which looks amazing. Um, and along with uh, your email as well, if people would like to come to the event tomorrow. That's great. And <clears throat> if they uh, would just like to join the community, but they can't make it tomorrow night, uh, just touch base, start a conversation and, and everyone's welcome. Fantastic. Um, and I've definitely been posting on social media all week about BPD and just telling anyone that will listen. Mm. Um, so uh, for anyone who's listening or who has downloaded this podcast, be sure to share this podcast among your social media and circulate so that as many people can learn about BPD as possible. Thank you so much, Barb, for coming on the show. Um, always a pleasure to have you. Um, and Christine and Rebecca, you guys did an amazing job. Um, remember that you can download podcasts of our show at the 3CR website. Um, you can also stream them from brainwaves.org.au. Uh, next week is uh, Mental Health Week. We are having Phil on the show, who is a disability employment support worker, uh, talking about Mental Health Week. And the theme for uh, this year is Where To From Here?, um, so be sure to tune in next week. Stay tuned for Renegade Economists. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.